0: In the world of e-commerce, we see this great divide. We see this great battle. Is it e-commerce or is it brick and mortar? Our guest today has been working with brick and mortar brands and stores for over 16 years. She has great knowledge and great experience with e-commerce. And she is going to attempt to school us, educate us e-commerce sellers, and explain to us why there is less of a divide and more overlap in brick and mortar and e-commerce. In addition, she's going to talk about covid the year of 2020 for retail and what retail looks like in 2021. I promise you this is going to be a really, really great episode full of really good information that's applicable to any type of seller online or off. Stay tuned. You're going to love it. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan and at every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the a.m. and the p.m. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the a.m. p.m. podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of a.m. p.m. podcast. Today, I've got a special guest that I met, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and she was positioned as this like all seeing eye marketing branding expert with a strong focus in retail brick and mortar stores with a general understanding of how brick-and-mortar stores are moving into digital marketing and how e-commerce works in general, right? I know that was a mouthful, but I hope that, uh, that you kind of understand and are getting excited about why this might be a valuable guest to have on because we don't talk about retail stores a lot. We don't talk about brick-and-mortar stores, and we don't talk about the transition of brick-and-mortars into the digital space, into the online space. But before we get started, I want to introduce... Oh, man, this name's going to be tough. I had to write it down. Nicole Leinbach Ryla. Did I say that right? You
1: did. Leinbach Ryla. That's right.
0: It's a mouthful. (laughs) I've just always called you Nicole. I didn't know there was like six last names we had to stack on there. So Leinbach Ryla. Okay. Got it. So Nicole, if you would just kind of tell us, you know, your journey, right? Like how did you get to become this what I claim to be expert in marketing and branding and, and retail stores. I know that you've written some books, you've worked for some companies, all that stuff. So uh, just give us like the rundown so that we kind of understand where your perspective and your expertise is coming from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thanks, Tim. Excited to chat with you. I wish we were doing in real life like we have in the past and always have fun with that. Um, So when I was like going back to even high school, I did what was called a work release and would drive an hour to Nordstrom's because I wanted to learn about physical retail from what was considered one of the best retailers at the time, which still is a very well-respected retailer, which is Nordstrom's. And fast forward, I studied retail business in college. I was fortunate to work for a company called Bennett Footwear, which owned Franco Sardo Footwear, um, a variety of other brands, and was quickly promoted to national marketing director by the time I was 24 years old moving from Chicago to the East Coast, gaining tremendous experience working with tremendous retailers, such as your Macy's of the world, your Bloomingdale's, your big box retailers, but also the small independent boutiques across the country as well, going to trade shows. Um, A couple years later, jumped over to Adidas America and worked for what's really Adidas. Anybody who knows Adidas technically knows that it's not Adidas, it's Adidas and uh, worked for them for Few years and held a national marketing role with them as well, and gained tremendous experience working in the apparel and footwear categories. But ultimately, my passion was supporting the smaller independent retailers, and I gained so much in working with companies such as Dick's Sporting Goods and larger brands through these fantastic companies that I had, you know, the privilege of working with. But I wanted to create something unique, something that at the time, and Retail Minded by the way, is the company I founded. It's been around fourteen years. We're celebrating fourteen years this October. And at the time, blogs were just beginning and content and social media was just ramping up. And so I started retail minded in an effort to deliver what I recognize as news education and support for retailers.
0: Gotcha. So you were kind of on the forefront of this content marketing, which is now completely taken over almost every aspect of marketing, whether it's a service or good or, or anything. What about your books? I know you've written some books and kind of solidified some of your expertise dominance in some of these roles and topics. What were those books?
1: Yeah, so I've written for Forbes and Entrepreneur and countless business publications, and I've also written the book Retail 101, The Guide to Managing and Marketing Your Business, which to be perfectly honest, it's changed so much as retail always does, it evolves. And I have um, another book being released in 2021, but you know I'll probably shift gears on that just considering this very momentous change in retail right now. I'll still release something, but the general topic might change of what it is. And I've written a tremendous amount of what I look at as ghost writing. So a lot of um, books under other people's names for companies that I sign a lot of NDAs for.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. And so the reason I brought that up is writers have to do a lot of research. So you've worked for a lot of companies, whether they're big brands, small brands, you've also done a lot of research. And I bring that up not just to brag about your experience, but to set the stage for your perception of retail and your perception of brick and mortar stores and your perception of what's happened over the past 14, 15 years. Now, of course, it's 2020 and we need to talk about how COVID has affected retail stores, brick and mortar stores. But I want to save that for a little bit later. Let's come back to that. Let's pretend that I am talking to you in December of 2019. All right. Because I do think a lot of the the reactions and the, the changes that COVID has brought on will kind of cycle back and get back to somewhat of a normal right so let's pretend we're back in the quote-unquote normal phase and let's talk about brick and mortar stores and how they're adapting and I'll, I'll set this stage or not necessarily how they're adapting but how they're changing and i'll set the stage for that is you know my experience is in e-commerce and in e-commerce we say retail's dying brick and mortar's dying you know everybody's moving online but then you look at stats and you're like well 90 percent of the world's products are still bought in brick and mortar retail stores right so from your perception Let's talk about that statement for one. Is brick and mortar dying? And then after we address that, let's talk about how brick and mortar is changing.
1: Straight to the point, brick and mortar is not dying. Historically, retail has always changed. And if we're in the middle of December 2019, looking into 2020, and all the conversation was in fact about brick and mortar dying, it was not then, it is not now. It simply is evolving and it will continue to evolve. Consumers at their core, they want human experiences. They want connectivity to something that excites them. And brick and mortar has the opportunity to deliver on that. If is there room for expanded opportunities and ways in which customers might want to have choices? Of course, absolutely. We've seen that already. But brick and mortar at its core is definitely not dying.
0: I think that what you said is is even more valuable looking into 2020 about the human experiences and the interaction. You know, we like to think that our world is just completely digital now. You know, you see the pictures of people in New York subways and everybody's staring at their cell phone and they're like, oh, you know, the world is, is always looking down now. But you look at pictures of the same subway back in 1950s and everybody's faces were still in newspaper. You know, so things have changed and the mediums have changed, but the habits haven't really changed. And I completely agree. And I don't know exactly how it plays out in real time, in real life, but I definitely agree people want those interactions. So you said that that brick and mortar stores can create an exciting environment for buyers. Explain that. Like what is exciting about coming into a brick and mortar store?
1: When I look at shopping in general, I look at it as an opportunity to be engaged, whether it's. Through convenience, such as many grocery stores offer, or through entertainment. In fact, good buddies of mine, Kaiser and Bender, they're in the retail space. They do a lot of speaking and consulting. They refer to that as shoppertainment. And I, I think that's spot on. Shoppertainment is a very important way for brick-and-mortar retailers to approach their business. Because as humans, is it, as consumers ourselves, so even though many of us listening, and myself included, are within the retail category and making decisions that are influencing the business of retail. We are also consumers and we want to go places that give us what we want from that experience. So whether it is convenience or whether it is engagement, whether it is entertainment, it's ultimately something that is responsive to consumer behavior. And right now in 2020, consumer behavior actually has heightened expectations. Right. So even in December 2019, customers had high priorities and expectations. But now in 2020, we've heightened them. We're more particular than ever. We're more decisive than ever. We're taking in many communities and globally, we're taking actions that are more proactive to make choices on where we shop. And so this is this have a huge responsibility to make sure that their customers are engaged and it's not just delivering on that inventory, but it's delivering on the actual experience of their store.
0: So I almost get the impression that more people are buying more things and more people are shopping more, right? Not necessarily shopping the same amount and buying the same amount, just transitioning from their platform. So instead of going to Walmart, now I'm going online. For me, I still love going to Walmart. You know, if I need something quick, if I need to go to the hardware store, if I need to go to the grocery store, but I'm in addition shopping online. We know the data, the data shows that e-commerce is growing and retail feels like that's a battle. You know, the retail stores want to make sure people understand that they have a lot to offer. They're they're adding this excitement and this shoppertainment and they're doing things also to engage buyers before they step foot across the threshold of their store, right? So they're starting to utilize some of the same tools that e-commerce sellers are using. So if you would talk about that, talk about like as this, this line has been drawn in the sand and the e-commerce platforms and places like Amazon have said, you know, we're going to crush retail and retail is laughing behind their desks, still occupying 80% of the market share, saying, no, you're not, but we better make some adjustments. So what are some of those largest adjustments, not talking COVID specific, just generally, you know, still 2019. What are some of the biggest adjustments and adoptions that brick and mortar and retail stores and brands are starting to uh, introduce into their ecosystem?
1: The main takeaway is that the path to purchase is not straight. How a consumer makes a decision that they need something or want something and then ultimately buy something has a lot of twists and turns. And with those twists and turns become vulnerabilities, but also opportunities. So whether you look at them as a roadblock or you look at them as a speed bump to get to your brand sooner, right? And so keeping that in mind, digital is highly influential in terms of how customers ultimately choose to make a purchase. They might be influenced by scrolling social media of a friend's account or an influencer's account. And then through that influence inspired by social media, they might search through social media using a hashtag, or they might go to Google directly. They might even go to a brand website. They might take a direct link that's provided via social media. Or They might go somewhere and then tomorrow an ad pops up within their feed that through algorithms is magically there, of course, and suddenly they're brought on a different journey to maybe shop with a competitor that they haven't thought of before. These digital engagement opportunities are influencing brick and mortar stores, of course, online sellers as well, and brick and mortar stores are recognizing that it's not just their storefront that's going to attract the customer. It's the window of a computer or a mobile screen that's also going to attract the
0: customer. What you're saying is the the path to purchase is very different between an e-commerce seller and a retail store, but the tools that they're using to to gain eyeballs and gain traffic are frequently the same. And A lot of times we think digital e-commerce, window shopping physically brick and mortar, but I love your example of, Hey, my computer screen is the new window. My cell phone screen is the window. I can window shop there and it might not be something I can buy online or maybe I want to go try that on. There's still some, you know, inherent, I hate to say the word flaws, but I'm going to use it. Inherent flaws with some online purchasing, purchasing, you know, groceries, purchasing, you know, especially things that, you know, have to be kept cold. Purchasing frozen food is tough. I know there's a few solutions out there, but they must be just a tiny percentage of, you know, what actually happens. Think about clothing and shoes. A lot of people are actually scared to death to sell those on a platform like Amazon because their return rate can be 30%. But if I walk, I I will never buy an expensive pair of shoes online. I might buy some cheap flip-flops, but I don't want to go try on 20 pairs of shoes and feel them and touch them. So I definitely agree that there's always a place, but you're right. That same shoe company is just changing the window that they're offering for window shopping, which I think is a great analogy. And I think that's great. What are some of these stores doing to adjust to not just how they display to people, but engagement right in digital like e-commerce a lot of times we're using content you know you're seeing these these great viral videos you're seeing blogs you're seeing you know especially right now you're seeing a tremendous amount of traffic by affiliate sellers using blogs so it's gift guides and product reviews now that doesn't quite work for brick and mortar, or maybe it does, you can correct me, but because you have experience and background in content marketing and brick and mortar, how are brick and mortar stores using content to drive sales?
1: So great question. And I've always said that content creates conversation. And when you have relevant content, it creates conversation among individuals, among friends, among communities. And content obviously has become more than just traditional black and white. It's through video marketing. It's through social media. What a lot of brick and mortar stores are doing, and certainly not all, but those who are really savvy, they're leading conversations through social media primarily, and they're leveraging applications such as Comment sold, where it's a technology that is um, pushed into their Facebook or Instagram, and they can actually, let's say, do a video. And in that video, I might say, here's our latest fall styles, and this features." You know, sizes extra small through double XL, and we have two in each size. And if you comment below, we can make sure that you get that today, right? And just through that simple comment, this application then moves forward through a transaction process, right? So to a customer, there's a lot of ease there. They're gaining that shop attainment that they're looking for, they're feeling a personalized customer experience. Um, there's a lot of excitement just from that. And mind you, these retailers are in their physical stores. So they're using their stores as showcases, they're using them as warehouses, they are expanding their selling avenues, which is what brick and mortar stores need to do and for most should be doing to help boost or maintain a healthy revenue.
0: So we're talking about brick and mortar stores, and you bring in comment sold where anybody can comment and sell and ship these products. And to me that sounds a lot like e-commerce. So, you know, on the surface, I'm sitting here thinking, wait, did she just tell me that brick and mortar stores are moving to e-commerce? But I don't think that's what you said. So hear me out. It feels almost like what you're saying is that a brick and mortar store can still stay a brick and mortar store while adding a distance buying component, right? But the value of the store is still valid because you've got employees, you've got brand ambassadors, you've got a store where you can create content, you've got the showpiece or the showcase showroom. You also have like credibility, right? Because there's all these new online brands that are popping up, especially on marketplaces, these private level brands, and people don't know what they are. But if this product is featured in a brick and mortar store, there's immediate credibility given, right? So explain more about this concept that you just kind of introduced, which is a brick and mortar store can still be a retail brick and mortar store, even if they sell digitally, but they are based with a physical location. Let's talk about that.
1: So if we go back to, let's say the eighties, okay. So I'm not going to call you out on how old you are, (laughs) but you know, if we look back even just 30 years, 40 years, personalized customer care was already there when it comes to retail. If you go back a hundred years, it was already there. It used to be face-to-face only, then phone orders and mail orders. And store customers were able to engage with, or I'm sorry, customers were able to engage with store employees through some personalized TLC experiences, right? That's really what Comment Sold is offering to brick and mortar employees. There's a lot of great softwares out there that help connect brands and emplo- or brands and customers when they're physically not in that store environment. Okay. I think the one thing to remember here though is that brick and mortars bring more than just inventory to physical storefronts. They bring charm and character, personalization, and community to the towns in which they're located, right? If you go to any, let's say you go to Charleston, South Carolina, is it because you just want to see the water nearby, or you just want to eat the food, often it's because you want to explore the community as well. And independent retailers are making up a large part of that community. So there's a lot of responsibility for retailers um, to deliver on, not just connecting inventory to customers. They create character with wherever they call home. And so we're not losing that with this online connectivity, but instead they're expanding their reach to more customers. That makes sense. It
0: does, and I will say this, and this is just me pulling stuff out of you know the back of my head as we talk here, but also you know in the e-commerce space, I see a lot of talk about experience. You know, right now, like Generation Z, there's a lot of reports saying that Generation Z is more interested in an experience than a product. They'd rather go on a vacation than have a new gadget, right? Like they want experiences, and if you look at things like uh, what is it, Airbnb. Airbnb's biggest innovation they had was experiences. Like, yeah, I can go stay in a house in San Diego, but I can also pay 30 bucks for this dude to spend two hours trying to teach me to longboard down this, you know, crazy death trap of a road. Like I can do these experiences and this generation that, that especially is coming up generation Z is dying for that. And I think it's obvious that brick and mortar stores and retail brands have the ability to create a very different set of experiences than e-commerce sellers. Now, you know, the experiences, the e-commerce stores and platforms like Amazon, of course, the experiences, is ease and great customer service. And I can buy anything from anywhere that's simple. But especially moving in a new generation, maybe it's going to swing back to this coolness of actually going to a store. What do you think?
1: Well, I can tell you that my nieces are 18 and 16. And although they have made purchases online, they're much more interested in going to a physical store to gain that experience we keep talking about, going back to that Shoppertainment we originally discussed early on, but to your point Airbnb offering experiences and so I think generationally things have changed and you know baby boomers are among the more popular online users of shopping right which is quite interesting because they grew up in a generation where that didn't exist but they want ease and convenience now whereas their grandkids are looking to gain those experiences still. So I think there's um, opportunity to combine.
0: It's going to be interesting when we look, you know, in 2040 and see if, if if there was a steady increase in e-commerce and decrease in retail, or see if it waffled back and forth uh, generationally. I suspect that there will be some movement in both directions from both sides. So I think that it's fair to say that, um, according to you, retail is not dead, but retail is adjusting. Retail is having to make some moves. They're having to take a, a two thousand, excuse me, a two thousand year old method of people walking their store or their shop or their you know whatever it is to buy it and they're having to become digital and they're having to work on content they're having to work on brand experiences store experiences ambassadorships all that good stuff 2020 then hit us and 2020 rocked us and 2020 has been the dumpster fire that we will always remember for the rest of our lives and it was especially difficult for brick and mortar because you know the e-commerce we've looked at the stats you know a lot of e-commerce I won't even say e-commerce stores, but e-commerce industries are up to 300%. And people are adopting e-commerce because the retail stores were closed or the retail stores have bigger restrictions or people are just scared to death to go out in the public and it's easier to order online. What are some of the best reactions that you've seen in retail stores in the first half of 2020 when you saw these retail stores massively adjusting and you can think of like two or three great examples of hey these guys did it right in the first half of 2020 what would some of those examples be
1: so i think one of the things that really has stuck out to me through this 2020 covid chaos is that buy online pickup in store was already out there it existed But not a lot of people really optimized it, nor did brands really strengthen their communication and delivery on it. So same with MOPUS, mobile, buy on, on your mobile and pick up in store. So I've seen a huge boost in that, that even smaller independent brands and businesses have introduced in response to COVID and continue to strengthen. I think... Even as a consumer myself, I wasn't a huge fan of it before because there wasn't as much ease to a lot of places that I would prefer to shop. Um, And again, going back to those independent stores, I don't always want to buy at a local big box retailer. I want to spread my dollars as a consumer out among small businesses as well. To me, that's really stood out. And I think that one of the reasons is because of communication. Um, It's been clear and more concise than ever before from retailers because their customers demand it. And retailers have finally been pushed to say, it's time to get this sorted. We have to be better at this. The other thing I would say is that the in-store experience has been heightened in terms of navigation. People want to get in and get out. um, And so that means in-store signage has strengthened. I don't want to always talk to a sales associate. In fact, for a year, there was a great stat about three years ago that came out that two out of three customers do not want to talk to store employees for no circumstances.
0: And that probably, that probably changes based on the store. I'm less likely to want to talk to people in one store than others,
1: right? I, I won't mention is names. A, it was a general study. Yeah. And so this is, you know, somebody knows what they want. They just want to buy it and they want to get out. Um, and that was a big reason that self-checkout existed but you know self checkout is now shared with others so now if you actually go into a store some people don't want to do self checkout because it was just used by someone else so they prefer maybe the line where there's an actual cashier helping there's a lot of variations and of course there's so many personalities among consumers which is why stores have to offer choices right everybody's different
0: and i'll talk about walmart not because you know i'm i'm a a huge proponent of Walmart. I'm not saying that, you know, whether or not, but Walmart's a good example because we all shop at Walmart. Right. And Walmart has for a long time had that buy online and pick up at the store. And I've always wondered, is that e-commerce or is that not? Like, like I've never figured out if that's e-commerce or not, but, um, you know, you're right. People not wanting to go into stores, but want to be able to pick up their groceries in two hours. That has been awesome because people have, have, utilize that and to your point a lot of small retailers are doing that too you know you see all these stores that are even dedicated parking spots that used to never do this to online store pickup and we'll bring it out i rolled into um staples the other day to go buy a printer or something and someone was like at my car the moment i parked i was like oh it's a, another homeless guy you know like asking for money or something he's a staples employee he's like sure, I'm, I'm here to you know, get your your order number. I'm like, I don't have an order number. And he's like, you're actually coming in the store. I'm like, yeah, I'm coming in the store, and it's amazing because no one would have thought that would have happened coming into 2020.
1: Well, and to your point, Tim, like I'll just use Staples as an example too. What's also happening is commercial real estate agencies; those those people who own these buildings are actually saying we need to identify parking lot scenarios that complement buy online, pick up in store. I also do think it's in-store inventory that's being sold. Therefore, it's not e-commerce, by the way.
0: Oh, ah, okay. So even though you buy it online, but it's sitting in brick and mortar, it's still a retail. Okay. We'll argue about that another day. We'll have that debate on stage somewhere. The other thing that you're talking about is the ease of in-store. Uh, you know, We've known for a long time that it is a a strategy, a technique of retail stores to make you walk past more stuff. That's why when you walk into... A grocery store, the milk and bread are always in the very farthest back corner you can possibly find, so they make you walk past all this stuff. But I have seen that changing. I've seen them moving the convenience items up, eliminating the mazes, so that people can walk in and and, and to get their five items instead of a twelve minute experience, you be a four minute experience. So maybe that's one of the positive benefits that retail is taking. You know, because frankly, I hated that. I hated walking what seemed like eighteen miles through my local Kroger to get you know a gallon of milk. So that that's very interesting. I haven't thought about that either.
1: Yeah, I call those staples and statements. So your staples would be your bread and milk or your blue denim versus your white capris, which I would refer to as your statements. So every category of retail has staples and statements. From a merchandising perspective, it does make sense to put your staples in the back of the store. Um, But in response to, let's say, COVID, right, which we're living through right now, putting those staples up front, that is in direct response to what customers really want, but not just want need right now. They're trying to say, listen, I'm going to be a retailer who's sensitive to the sentiment of our consumer environment right now. I would beg to say that will change once this hopefully goes away, you know, but then again, because it doesn't benefit the retailer as much in terms of additional add on or unexpected sales, but it does benefit the retailer if they're responding to that customer sentiment. And right now, customer sentiment is a huge driver of consumers saying, I'm going to shop here versus here.
0: Okay. So two great examples to answer my question of, you know, what, what, what did stores do reactionary that were good brick and mortar stores, but going forward. All right. Where we're coming up on Q4 of 2020, the year of COVID, right? Right. What are, uh, you know, with with all the brands, and I know you work with a lot of brands and and you help a lot of these, you know, stores and and brand owners strategize, you won't let me use the word consultant. So I'm not going to say consultant, even though I just did. But as you're strategizing with these people and seeing what they're doing, what are some of the changes that a lot of these brands and stores are making long-term coming hopefully out of the era of COVID? Like, where do you see retail brick and mortar in 2021?
1: I definitely see store hours being adjusted. We've already seen in response to COVID that physical stores are changing their hours, um, which benefits employee overhead um, in-store experience time. It also opens up time for private appointments. A lot of retailers have said, we're going to condense our time from 11 to 5 every day as open doors, but you can book private appointments from 10 to 11 or from 5 to 7. Okay, so these these are things that I've seen in different categories of retail, which I think is brilliant. Often, this is controlled by the commercial leasing companies, um, depending on where these stores are. But of course, there's been flexibility through COVID. I definitely think that store hours will be changed in the future, and you have to remember that's going to impact impact their overhead as well, their financial overhead. Okay, so if they have less hours, but they're optimizing those hours better, um, they're employee salary wages and so forth might be reduced, which is going to help a lot of these retailers.
0: Would it be fair to say that this is a positive change that probably would not have happened organically if it wasn't forced to happen through COVID? So this is one of those forced changes that people went, oh crap, this is actually a pretty good idea. Let's stick with this.
1: Absolutely. I think it's great. It's been a little bit too cookie cutter and expected. There's certainly convenience in knowing what those hours are, but customers will adjust the same way as consumers. We've had to adjust to wearing masks in stores. We will start to adjust to whatever those changes are as retail moves forward in 2020 and beyond, right? Um, And so I do think that there's even your big box retailers like Target and Walmart, they have reduced hours, okay? And so that's partly because of sanitization, sanitization. Can I say that? Yeah. They need to clean, right?
0: Sanitization. That's a tough one. Sanitization. You still did it wrong. I did it wrong. I
1: have a tongue twister going on. Yes. So that's obviously been a change too, but I think with that comes some responsibility from those retailers to say, I'm going to really optimize our open hours. Okay. Because they have less hours to sell, which means they need to boost that experience. So in addition to that, I think the other thing we're going to see are more temporary stores, pop up shops. Okay, we've seen that that was already existing. Lululemon just announced that they're doing, I believe it was around fifty going into the holiday season for 2020. Um, Historically, they had not done that. They based that their future new locations on data. Um, generated from a variety of places, but now they're saying we're going to actually open pop-up stores, smaller storefronts, put less investment into the actual physical store environment to then test what sales are like, how customer responses are, and then decide where we will will make more investment into permanent locations. And we're going to see that more and more. I think that's directly in response to COVID because... COVID has a huge influence on consumer spending, of course. But also, it's a great way for brands to say, I don't need it to be the most beautiful storefront. I just need it to sell inventory over the next three months and then we're going to move on. But also we're going to see a lot of vacancies in retail, right? So because of those vacancies in physical storefronts, unfortunately, many businesses have closed and will closed. That gives opportunity for pop-up experiences. And that's also an opportunity, by the way, for e-commerce sellers to say, do I want to explore this? Even just a temporary basis.
0: And I've actually seen that, which is crazy. These brands that Uh, you know, were established online, sold online and have said, I will never get into retail because, you know, the the barrier to entry was too high and there wasn't, you know, but now looking at COVID, they're looking at these strip malls and they're looking at, you know, these other shopping, especially, you know, consolidated shopping areas. And they're going, man, you know, where this storefront used to cost me $1,200 a month and I had to sign a three-year lease. Now they're going to offer me a two-month lease at $500 a month. That might be a November and December option for me, which is great. So, of course, you know, my heart is broken for these businesses that have that have tanked. I've seen a lot of things like gift shops that, you know, we're already kind of struggling. They're done. And I've seen a lot of small restaurants that are done. And I, I hate that. But I will say the shining light is that when you have this, I don't want to say the word purge, but when you have this like reset, it does create opportunities for Different businesses to come in and recycle those opportunities and take advantage of it, and it levels the playing field in some areas, and it it, it kind of hits the reset button. So, it has been interesting to see that, and I think that there's you would know more about this, on it, but I feel like there's going to be like a rebound. Like people that have been stuck at home for six months, they're so sick of buying on Amazon that at least for a short period of time, as the as the unlocks start to happen they are going to go and stand in stores for an hour looking at all the great things and looking at the people and, you know, smelling different air. Maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, but I think there's definitely something to be said for that.
1: Well, there's already lines outside of Lululemon's and Apple stores that people are waiting 30, 45 minutes just to get inside. Now, certainly that's partly in response to limited capacity in the stores, but it does speak to their brand loyalty. It does speak to, that consumer saying, "I'm investing in waiting to physically go into this environment versus order online," right? So I think that speaks volumes to how consumers really do crave these engaging physical environments.
0: So let me tell you one of my biggest takeaways from this uh, from this talk that I so appreciate you taking your time to have with us. And and you can kind of reiterate or you can correct me or whatever, but I'm gonna make a general I'm gonna make some generalized statements, right? Just from like the eyes of an e-commerce seller. I think that we as e-commerce sellers have always seen a dividing line between e-commerce and brick and mortar. It's one or the other. It's, it's you know, there is no overlap. But hearing what you've said is there is a lot of overlap even before COVID from, you know, things like the digital marketing, marketing perspective. And we're using some of the same tools for ad placement and eyeballs and, you know, using your laptop or your cell phone as a window to window shop in. Uh, so there is a lot of overlap. I would also make the statement, you tell me if I'm wrong, that especially coming into COVID, that some of these retailers have been exceptionally bright in the way that they've responded and turned on a dime and created better user experiences and better community, which will continue to drive traffic into their stores because those are some things that e-commerce brands, strictly e-commerce brands and e-commerce platforms cannot replicate, right? So it would be safe to say that retail is not dead. It would be safe to say that e-commerce is definitely growing faster than, you know, almost any industry out there, but especially in some sectors and in some industries, retail will continue not only to survive, but also to grow going into 2021. I'll be honest and say, I have a lot of these, these interviews that I do where, you know, we talk about really cool stuff, but I don't walk away really feeling like, man, I learned something that's completely like counterintuitive to what I thought it would be. But I feel that way walking out of here. Like I, I really feel like, not only have you told me something that I didn't necessarily think I'd, you know, agree with or disagree with, but I actually feel like you've changed my perception, which is awesome. So, I hope that, you know, what we've talked about has been valuable to all of you as listeners. So, Nicole, we're looking at, you know, wrapping up this podcast and you're standing on a stage talking to tens of thousands of e-commerce sellers and you can make one final statement regarding brick and mortar and retail and it could be your advice it could be your your you know like perception of something it can be your prediction but you're on a soapbox right now talking to tens of thousands of e-commerce sellers what do you want to say to us
1: i actually want to take all of our business hats off for a second and put on our consumer hats so as we make choices as consumers we are choosing what will survive and what will not looking ahead Okay? So our actions are highly influential as customers. And so we've seen that already happen through COVID with what hasn't survived. We've also seen what's thrived during this period. So as customers, I would just challenge you, look at your hometown community. Look at the communities you love. Make choices that will support these communities by spending at businesses. Uh, whether that is through an in-store experience, a buy online pick up in store, or even e-commerce, okay? Because as business leaders, we need to recognize that you know our businesses. Many of us are small business owners, including myself, including those listening, sellers, marketplace sellers. Those are also small business owners for many of them. Um, but let's look around our communities to make sure that as we reshape the future of retail, we do so responsibly as customers.
0: Man, that gave me goosebumps. I feel so empowered now. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for Nicole, uh, Nicole, for coming on. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, how could they track you down?
1: So they can always find me at RetailMinded.com or Nicole at RetailMinded, or of course Instagram at RetailMindedWorld or Twitter at RetailMinded.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. Those of you that are listening, if you found some uh, some value and some good tips in this, as I always ask, please leave some reviews. If you're watching on YouTube hit the thumbs up button, hit the subscribe button to the channel and share. If you're in seller groups, if you're in entrepreneur groups or whatever you're in, if you can share this to people that would find value in this, please do so. Cause you know, we want to help the community at large. And as I continue to learn every day, that community is larger than I expected because now we can start rolling up a lot of these brick and mortar stores into our uh, into our community as well. So thank you again, Nicole. Hopefully maybe 2021, we'll get to hang out again and, uh, and see each other in person. I look forward to that. And uh, for those of you listening, thanks for sticking through it and uh, listening to all of this. And we'll see you guys on the next episode.